Whoop, whoop, whoop. So many exciting things to tell you. I'm going to keep it short and simple. Number one, my book is now free, a digital version of my book, Building Simple Habits to a Healthy Me. You can just sign up and get it for free. Number two, come and say hello on Instagram. I'm having fun on Instagram doing exciting reels. Number three, I have four amazing packages for my Positively Healthy program called Magical May exciting exciting if you want to find out more book a call and let's chat and lastly remember radiate and renew four simple habits simple but mighty habits is starting may the 15th so come and sign up for that hello and welcome to the fit and fabulous podcast with me dr Orlina. I help families create easy habits and systems they love so that they can all feel fit and fabulous without having to think about it. On the podcast, we talk about all aspects of a healthy life. What we eat, my favorite med-style diet, which isn't a diet, but a way of eating, habits, exercise, emotional wellness, weight loss, research, and what the experts say. Most importantly, we talk about how to transform our lives so that we can actually do these things, take control of our health, feel fit and fabulous, and for it all to be easy and fun. You're welcome to sign up to my Healthy Family Eating Systems video, where I explain how easy my system is for providing healthy foods for my family. You can find that at drorlina.com, that's D-R-O-R-L-E-N-A.com, forward slash healthy family meal plan with a little dash in between those words. If you're interested in my new program, Fit and Fabulous Family, that's launching in August, please email me at orlina at drorlina.com or reply to one of my emails to arrange a time to chat. It's going to be life and family transforming and, of course, easy and fun. Now, on with today's show. Hello and welcome to Fit and Fabulous with me, Dr. Orlina Kerrick. Today I'm super excited because we're talking all about siblings. I am one of four and I have four of my own so I know about sibling battles and I'm super excited to welcome Rachel Bailey. Rachel, welcome. Thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. So I'm just going to tell everyone your bio. So Rachel is a parenting specialist who has been serving families for over a decade. That's a very long time. And besides being a mother of two, she also has a master's degree in clinical psychology, a certification in positive discipline, and has provided services as an ADHD coach, in-home mentor and therapist. And currently, Rachel teaches parents hands-on tools for raising responsible, resilient, confident children and helping parents from the time at, sorry, to find the time and energy to incorporate these tools into their lives. So I'm super excited to talk to you. Thank you again for being here. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. So you have a master's degree in psychology. And I think for me, the issues I have with children, and I'm sure that I'm not the only person who has these issues, is partly understanding the psychology behind what goes on and also wanting those those tools such that when my children are shouting and screaming at each other, then I can help them rather than standing there. You know, the irony of me yelling, stop yelling, is not is not lost on me, but at times it feels like that. So how about we start with... What is it about siblings? Why are siblings so mean to each other? Why do they fight so much? 
Yeah, this is a great question. And I love that you said, I, w- I just want to start here that you want to understand what's causing behavior because that is the key. What we try to tend to do, what we tend to try to do as parents is we try to stop behavior without understanding what's causing it. And if you're just using strategies like punishment and yelling, it doesn't work because it doesn't address what's causing the behavior. So you asked, why do kids, why do siblings fight so much? And there are actually only two main reasons that all sibling fighting and actually most negative behavior stems from. One is they're actually missing tools, believe it or not. We know that they are physically capable of being nice to each other, but they're actually you know, missing tools like conflict resolution and problem solving. So for example, if you say, you know, if, if you have four children and maybe there's one device nearby and three of your children see the device, they don't think, hmm, there are three of us and one device. That's a problem. How do we solve this? They just all run to the device. They don't recognize problems. They don't solve problems. So they're actually missing some tools. And even because they're kids and not fully cognitively developed, they're missing tools. That's one of the reasons. And the other reason is that something that I call the yuck factor, which I'd have to explain a little bit more. But basically, it comes down to either they're missing tools to do what we ask, and they're missing a lot more tools than we think, unfortunately, or this concept called the yuck factor. So, So go into the yuck factor a little bit more. Okay, so the yuck factor really plays a role in almost all negative behavior in kids. It's a very simple idea that when human beings are in a good place, we act positively, even as parents, when we're well rested, when we're feeling calm, we can really parent in a way that make, you know is consistent with our values. So when humans are in a good place, we act positively. But when we're not in a good place, I call this place yuck. Yuck is anything uncomfortable. So it could be that we're hungry or tired, overwhelmed, stressed, angry, feeling unheard. Someone just took our you know toy away from us. Anything uncomfortable, I call yuck. And what happens is when human beings are in yuck, we do not act positively. This is true of our children, and this is true of us. So actually, human behavior has more to do with our level of yuck than it does with what's going on around us. So kids fight because of their yuck, because they're in a bad place, and they could be, could be in a bad place because they're jealous of a sibling. They could be in a bad place because they're understimulated. They could be in a bad place because they wanted something that their sibling has and they don't know how to handle it. Whenever any human being is in a bad place, we don't handle it responsibly or respectfully. That's when they start to yell at each other. That's when they start to be mean to each other. Because when we're in yuck, we have specific behaviors that you see that come out. Yuck comes out as yelling. It comes out as being mean. It could be aggressive. It could be disrespectful. All of that is simply a symptom that a child is in yuck and they don't know how to handle it. That's very interesting. And I think that's one of the reasons why I was very excited to have you come on. Because historically, my podcast has been all about mothers and adults. But I can see how, you know, our family dynamic really affects us as well. And I see, you know, I've done so much work on myself, on positive emotions and looking after myself, but I still have my children, obviously, um, and they create their own emotions. And, you know, that feeds into my emotions with those wonderful mirror neurons that we've talked about before. But, you know, sibling conflicts is one of those things that I think, yeah, I would really love to be able to just sort this out. Um, And it would just bring peace and harmony to, you know, our family, which is, you know, what my long term goal is. I want a family where everybody gets on, where we respect each other, where we're kind to each other. And I do totally accept what you're saying about tools. And I know that, you know, quite often 
I know that. But one of the things I do see is that children are behaved differently with their friends at school. And there's something about siblings. I don't know whether it's just familiarity, but I remember being, you know, I love my brothers and sisters now, but I remember being really mean to my sister when we were little, when we were growing up, we would wake up super early, but we were probably very sleep deprived. And I would say things like, oh, I see you're really tired this morning. Whereas what I really meant was I'm really tired this morning. So I'm going to be really grumpy. But, you know, these are the people who are, you know, some of the most special people in our lives. So why do we go around treating them in such a mean, horrible way? Because it is really because of our yuck. That was a really good point. If they have the tools to be able to act differently with somebody else, that really does point to them that it is their yuck. And the truth is, our siblings are closest to us, but they also cause the most yuck. First of all, because we're around them all the time especially when you're home. I mean, when anybody's with anybody else all the time, it's not a healthy dynamic. But they cause the yuck because they're in their space all the time. But also, we as humans have certain emotional needs. There are five of them. And I'll just talk about two right now really quickly. Two of these emotional needs are connection and significance. So connection is the need to feel intimate relationships with others. Significance is the need to feel like we matter as an individual. And so these two emotional needs play a huge role. And there's actually a third one that plays a huge role with siblings. But these two play a huge role with siblings because our siblings are threatening our need in both of those areas. So, for example, we even need to feel connected to our parents. And our sibling threatens that connection because if they're getting attention and we're not, all of a sudden we don't feel that connection. Or if we feel like our parent is likes another sibling more, that's a threat to our need for significance. We need to know we matter. So that's why fights over like a cookie, where a child says they got more of a cookie that, you know, their, their piece is bigger. It's not just the cookie, although I'm sure the cookie is delicious. It's really about them saying, I need to know I matter as much as my brother or si- sister. And if you're giving them a bigger piece, you're treating them like they matter more. And humans will fight to prove that we matter or will fight to get connection. So because siblings actually compete for their emotional needs, they do feel more resentful towards each other. Their friend isn't competing for your attention as a mom, but their sibling is. So again, when they say, you let him sit on your lap longer or you were spent more time with him, what they're really saying is, I need to make sure you're seeing me. And so when they're together a lot, they don't feel as significant, which leads to some of the tools I'm going to give you um, for how you actually deal with all this. But does that make sense? Yeah, it's really interesting. And it also explains why... You know, if I'm having a cuddle with one of them, suddenly another one will jump on and suddenly I've got four children on my lap, which is a little bit overbearing. And yes, the thing about um, wanting a bigger one, I'm always saying to my children, oh, you mustn't compare your life through the eyes of your brother, which is what to me it seems like they're always doing. Like instead of enjoying their ice cream or pizza, they're busy going, oh, but his is bigger. I tell you, I can have an imaginary pizza I've done this before and they will fight over the biggest piece of imaginary pizza and you're just like kids what are you doing (laughs) well that's exactly what this is psychologically they're not fighting for the biggest piece of pizza they're fighting to know they matter as much as their sibling so we do say stop competing stop comparing and all that does is it reinforces it because we're basically saying what you're experiencing right now doesn't matter You know, you, so when we say that, we're basically taking away even more significance. So here's how you handle a cookie situation or a pizza situation. Instead of saying, stop comparing, saying something like, wow, you really wish you had more pizza, don't you? Do you want to ask me for more pizza? And if they said something like, I want a bigger piece than my brother or sister, what I would say is, what if your brother or sister weren't here? What would you want? 
everybody's going to get what they need. I want to focus on you right now. So you're always bringing it back to the individual and you're really hearing them. We often don't hear our kids. We just try to shove our information into their brains, like stop competing, stop comparing, instead of really understanding that in that moment, negative behavior is always a sign of struggle, 100% of the time. So in that moment, they're actually struggling. So yeah, I get that. So how, you know, if you're dividing up a pizza and, you know, say for argument's sake, we've divided into six because we're a family of six, so there isn't any more pizza to give them. How do you deal with that then? You know, you've got six pieces which are roughly the same size, except all of my children somehow end up with the smallest one. I don't know how that happens. But, you know, that's what they're saying. I, all of us have got the smallest pizza. And it's like, it's not physically possible for you all to have the smallest pizza. And sometimes you think, you've got a giant piece of pizza, but you complain that it's small. So yeah. how do I handle that? So one of the things, this leads to another area of discipline that I teach, which is when our kids are frustrated or disappointed, first of all, we have to recognize their perspective. So if they're saying, I have the smallest piece, I would say to them, wow, you feel like you don't have enough pizza right now, don't you? So you're, you're really recognizing how they feel in that moment. And if you literally don't have more pizza to give them, just say, I'm sorry, I'm here for you. You know, it's okay to be disappointed. It's okay. And we actually, you know how you said in the very beginning, you've worked on yourself and your emotions. We need to teach kids how to feel these emotions. And I'm not someone who's really like kumbaya and like, let's tell our kids that they're, all emotions are acceptable. But we do have to let them know that it's okay for them to feel disappointed and let them have those emotions without trying to get them to stop, without saying, stop competing, stop comparing. That's all an effort on our part as parents to make them feel better. And that's not the goal. If they feel like they got the smallest piece of pizza, they're sad that they got the smallest piece of pizza. They're sad. And what we need to do is make them feel heard, not make them stop feeling a certain way. And those are two totally different things. And this is how we raise emotionally intelligent kids. We don't give them what they want. We don't give them more pizza necessarily. We allow them to feel what they feel and we support them through those feelings, which sometimes isn't even saying very much. It's saying, you know what? I can hear you want more pizza right now. I'm really sorry. We don't have any more. It's okay to be upset. I'm right here with you. That's it. Yeah. Or, you know, we'd all love to eat more pizza, but you're in my family and we eat pizza and vegetables. <laughs> yes. Yes. And what, what just happened though, is when we put in that word, but we just under, we undid everything we just said. So if you say it's okay to want more pizza, but it's really, you're, what you're saying is, but I'm going to tell you otherwise. What we want to say is it's okay to want more pizza, period. I'm right here. I know you're frustrated. I know you're disappointed. It's okay to have those feelings. So we don't have to follow it up on, but there's no more pizza, nope, nope. nothing else. Just, okay, I hear that. And then as a separate statement, because then my kids are going to follow up with, well, where's my extra pizza then? Oh, but there isn't any more pizza. There, there, exactly. There isn't any more pizza. And that's really, you know, that's really disappointing. I'm sorry. I'm not getting more pizza either. I know how you feel. It's kind of a bummer. This is the foundation for resilience and emotional intelligence is that we allow kids to have feelings. We show them that we can handle their feelings. Now, I will say, and I want to underscore this, that what you're asking too are how do we handle things in the moment? And I have a podcast as well. And in every single episode, and it's been 40 some episodes now, I talk about not trying to parent so hard in the moment because it is harder and we do have to deal with emotions more. With siblings, we can actually deal with this more proactively, but you're running into the problems we deal with when we deal with things in the moment so much. But in the moment, parenting is about setting boundaries and letting kids have their feelings and not feeling we, like we have to fix it or end it. 
that is emotional intelligence. And that really is what we need to do for our kids. No, and I totally hear that. And I want to ask you more about the sort of maintenance things that we do. But before I ask you that, another big issue I have is when I have my children all sort of clamoring to be heard at the same time. So they're making so much noise that often I feel the only way I can get in there is to make even more noise. And that's when I start yelling, stop yelling. But otherwise, they just carry on. Yes. So, so, so let's, let me doing? talk about yuck a little bit more because we'll stay in the moment for a little longer. And then I want to tell you what to do proactively to prevent all this from happening in the first place. But in the moment, here's what you need to know about yuck. When they are all being really loud and fighting for your attention, they are all in yuck. They are, their brains are telling them, I need to be heard. It's literally they're in their fight or flight response. What happens when humans are in yuck is our brain senses yuck as a threat. We go into our fight or flight response. And you probably know this as a, you know, as a doctor. Our, what our fight or flight response does is it actually shuts down the part of our brain that allows us to act mature and responsible. So when they're in yuck, they're not going to stop their behavior. What happens in the moment in yuck, and this is why I hate in the moment parenting, but this is the science behind it, is that when someone is in yuck, yuck follows like a rainbow shaped curve. Someone in yuck, their yuck is going to get bigger and bigger and bigger. Eventually to reach a peak and it'll come down. That's that rainbow shaped curve. And once someone is in yuck and in that, on that rainbow shaped curve, they're already in their fight or flight response and you're not going to get them out very easily. So if you yell, all you're going to do is increase the yuck. Ultimately, there is another option right there, which is to do nothing and to let them. Now, if there's physical aggression, we do need to separate them, obviously, so they're safe. But once a human being is in yuck, and this is true of us, too, once a human being is in yuck, there's not that much you can do except let them travel that curve. Let them actually release the yuck and their brain will get out of fight or flight and reaccess the responsible part of their brain where they can actually hear you. Even if you yell, they're still in yuck and they're not going to hear what you're saying anyway. So instead of yelling and jumping in, what you actually need to do is wait and wait for them all. And this is why siblings are particularly hard in the moment. I think that if anyone's trying to handle sibling issues in the moment, you're wasting so much energy and time. Because you have not only your four kids yuck, but then your yuck. And, and letting five people get out their yuck takes a really long time. You are setting yourself up for so much wasted energy as a parent. But that's ultimately, that is the solution, is we let everyone get their yuck out. And then, we all know this happens, when kids, after they've had their whatever yelling or meltdown or tantrum, afterwards they're fine. That's when you can talk to them and work through it. But you can't when they're in it. Yes. Does that make sense? Yes, no, absolutely. It's like when you're angry and as an adult, you know, it's difficult to have these big emotions and, you know, your thinking brain goes, I don't really want to act like this. And another part of your brain goes, I'm going to do this anyhow. <laughs> yeah, because what happens is the thinking part of your brain is way outshouted by your fight or flight response. Yes, Yeah, exactly. your fight or flight response is way more powerful than your thinking brain when you are in yuck. And this is true of parents' yuck too. It's not just kids. But kids also, when they're in yuck, and you say, okay, but there are two pieces of pizza here. The thinking part of their brain doesn't hear that. The panic part of their brain that says, you don't, you're not treating me like I matter, that takes over. And to get a child out of that takes a lot of time and energy. That's why I hate in the moment parenting. Yeah. Yes, no, I totally hear that. And sometimes I have to confess, I send them to their rooms, not because they're being told off, but it's, you know, go to your room and calm yourself down so that they're not then feeding off each other. So they've Correct. got their own little space. 
And, you know, we've worked on some calming methods. Quite often I find that, you know, at that moment they don't really want to calm themselves down. They just want to be angry. And I'm like, well, okay, you can go and do that in your room, but not here at the meal table. This is a place where we're polite and respectful to each other. So go and do that somewhere else and come back when you've calmed down. And sometimes absolutely. And, and that's a good strategy, actually. What I teach is, first of all, I will say they don't want to be angry. It's just they have so much energy inside that they can't just shut it off. Once a child is in fight or flight, you know what happens physiologically in fight or flight. There's so many changes that occur in the body. It doesn't go from 60 to zero. It just does not. So it's not that they want to be angry. They just have so much energy and potentially adrenaline rushing through their veins that they actually can't stop. So sending them to their rooms is fine because it actually allows them to re-regulate. But you try to convince them to calm down, not going to happen. It actually, at that point, once they're already in fight or flight, it takes time. It takes them recognizing they're safe and time. That is the only thing that will get a human being out of yuck. It's not someone else doing something. It's once they feel safe and their fight or flight response shuts down, all the changes happen that, you know, that, that they go through when they're in fight or flight, those all shut down, turn around, and then they calm down. So sitting in their rooms is not necessarily a bad thing, especially if you're not punishing them. You're just actually teaching them to re-regulate. Yes. And it's interesting. I look at my daughter and she can regulate herself and she's been able to do this since she was really little, you know, but she has these huge, great explosions. But then actually, if we leave her alone, she'll calm herself down relatively quickly and come back happy as anything. You know, the rest of us are still there. Yeah, she's traveled the curve. That's why she can be happy again because she's traveled that curve. Yeah. Okay, Okay. so let's move on to some things that we can do to prevent all of this from happening in the first place. Yeah, and that's really, especially with siblings, I say this with every negative behavior, but especially with siblings, you're going to get so much more bang for your buck if you do things proactively. So I have lots and lots of tips. We'll see how many we get to. But the first tip I have is, remember we talked about this need for significance, is um, that we need to make what I call deposits proactively. Because here's the thing. Our brain is constantly detecting these five emotional needs I mentioned, plus all of our biological needs. Our brain is wired for survival. So it's constantly detecting, are my needs met? Am I safe? That's its number one job. You know this, obviously. You could speak more to this than I could. So it's detecting, are my needs met? Now, if this need for significance, if you think about it like a bank account, and this need for significance has more withdrawals than deposits, then a human being is going to be in yuck. So what I say is a withdrawal is something like where kids are all together fighting over candy or cookies or pizza. Those are examples of withdrawals where they feel like they don't matter. There are lots of examples of withdrawals in their lives. And what happens with most kids is they have more withdrawals than deposits. Lots of withdrawals happen throughout the day, not enough deposits, so that when something happens, like they're competing, comparing themselves to their siblings, they're coming up short. But if we can proactively make deposits, then their brain isn't in this state of yuck and they actually don't get as upset. And I have done this with hundreds and hundreds of families where I've seen this, um, where they're not getting as upset because they're in a good place to begin with. We as humans don't compete with others when we are in a good place. So just a quick example, if we are, let's say we're standing in our driveway, our neighbor drives home up and they have a brand new car and it's shiny and it's beautiful. If we are driving a clunker and we've wanted to get a new car, but we couldn't, we're going to be jealous of their new car. But if we're also driving a shiny new brand new car, we're going to be happy for them. We are only in a bad place when we think we don't have enough. So 
All of that is to say when we make proactive deposits into all of our kids individually, they simply don't compete and compare as much. So examples of proactive deposits are very simple things like one-on-one time. I can say anybody with multiple children, if you are not doing one-on-one time, and it doesn't have to take a long time. I have a whole, I have a whole document on hacks for making one-on-one time not take so much time. But one-on-one time is essential because if they're not getting it, their brain is constantly competing with their brother or sister, and they're not getting enough. It could also be things that take less time, though, like having unique rituals with them, a special bedtime ritual. It could also be something like you notice something your child says and you ask them about it a day later. Those are all examples of deposits. And when we do these things more proactively, they simply don't compare and compete as much to begin with. And the same is true of us. We don't compare and compete when we're getting all those deposits as well. So that's very interesting. And do you have any tips on how to do one-on-one time? So for example... Yesterday, I spent, I went with my middle son. We went swimming and then cycling. This was his sort of special exercise routine that we started doing. But in total, it took me an hour and a half of being with him. Like, I guess it's not one-on-one time where you're connecting, but we were together. And I kind of thought, oh, that's some good one-on-one time. But then he came home and he was just kind of mean to his sister all day. And I thought, that obviously hasn't worked in terms of... Giving him so let me say, yeah, let me say a few things about one-on-one time because I don't want to give the wrong impression. Number one, it is not linear. It is not, I spent an hour with him, so now he's going to be in a good mood. It's actually, if you quantify all the withdrawals and deposits in their lives, if they have more withdrawals than deposits, um, it could be that you spent one-on-one time, although I do want to talk about that because no, that's not what I mean by one-on-one time. But it could be that you spent one-on-one time and their yuck is actually caused by their sibling. And what you did is you filled one need, but their yuck is actually unrelated to the deposit you just made. So deposits actually need to be in the area where they are actually struggling. So um, remember I said there are five emotional needs. You can make a deposit into one-on-one time, but what's actually happening is they feel out of control. And so a deposit into that isn't going to address the issue of control. Can I just interrupt you? Because you didn't say all five of them. So could you just tell us all five of them? Yes. So the five emotional needs are connection, significance. Those are the two I mentioned. Capability, control, which is another big one for siblings. Often they're being mean because it gives them a sense of control. Yeah. And security is the last one. So connection, significance, capability, control, and security. And one of the things I do with my clients is I help them figure out where is your child struggling? Because you could make so many deposits into connection, but the issue really is control and you haven't, you've just wasted your time. So you kind of have to figure out where are they struggling and maybe they're being mean to their sibling not because they're not getting enough alone time, but because they're actually being mean to get the feeling of control or to meet a need for stimulation. So you kind of have to figure out what's going on for your child. Why are they being mean to begin with? But it all boils down to yuck. Every negative behavior is a way to, it's either they are missing a tool or it's a way for them to meet a need. So control, it's definitely control in our family. How do I give my kids the control that they want? Okay, so um, let me let me just finish up with really quick one-on-one time because I know that people are going to want to hear that, and then I'll tell you control. Definitely, how's that? Definitely. Okay, so really quick hacks for one-on-one time. You have four children. You cannot spend a ton of time with all your children. I assume if you can, you're a better parent than I am. <laughs> I, I don't. I love my children, but I wouldn't want to spend all my time with them all the time. So what I would suggest is to, uh, one-on-one time is not about quantity; it's about predictability. Have a set time for each of your kids. This could be half an hour once a week. 
So you're talking about a total of two hours a week. So the most important thing is they know it's coming, that it's consistent, that, um, and that the other thing is when you're with them, you're actually with them. It's not just that they're by your side. You're actually paying attention to them. You are listening to them. One of the things I do with our kids one-on-one time is I actually have them literally take my cell phone and put it somewhere else so they know I'm listening. It's like the symbolic beginning of our one-on-one time. So I'm really paying attention because I have trouble being present sometimes with my own kids. So it's really, it's about predictability. It's about, it's about not, it's about quality, not quantity. And if you put it on the calendar, it's so much better than randomly giving it to them. So those are just, I have lots of tips on one-on-one time, but those are the really simple ones. And and is there anything that you have to do? So for example, you know, my oldest son is just about to turn 12. Can we play a board game with him? Does that count as one-on-one time or not? It depends on him. He has to decide what counts as one-on-one time. It is his time. And ultimately, this doesn't do anything if it doesn't work for them. So you may say, well, I want to play ball with you, but that wasn't actually a deposit for him. So what I do with parents is I say, ask your child, what do you want to do with your 30 minutes? It's up to you. That, by the way, that phrase, it's up to you, is a deposit into control. So we're going to segue into control, but giving them some control over what does their one-on-one time look like is huge because then they get to decide and then you haven't wasted your time. And I don't mean to be mean, but... If I'm going to spend time with my kids, I want to make it work, right? So you do, I mean, again, I love my kids, but I just, I'm not always going to spend all my time with them. So I want to make sure when I am, it actually has a benefit to them as well. Okay, fabulous. So can we touch on control? Yes, for sure. Control is another huge one. Um, So here are ways to deposit into control. And it really depends on the child. But um, one of the ways, there are a few ways to start to think about this. Some kids who who need control need a lot of predictability in their lives. This could be that their lives are scheduled and routined, meaning they know what's going to happen the next day. And they, um, you know, you say to them, okay, tomorrow, this is what's going to happen. That can be an example of a deposit. Some kids really need that. And if we don't give them that control, they actually feel very out of control and they act out. Another example of control is where we give them what I call ownership. Ownership is where we let them have a say in what happens to them. So here's what I would do. I don't know if it's your 12-year-old who likes a lot of control. It's but, the 10-year-old. Okay, it's your 10-year-old. Perfect. So what I would do, and I would do this starting about age four and above. When you are making rules for your child, which you absolutely need to do, that's your job as a parent, but rules are a withdrawal, and that's fine. You're going to make withdrawals. But you can say, okay, let's say your rules around screen time. You can only have two hours of screen time a day. What you do is within your rule, you give them ownership. So you say you can only have two hours a day, but you can decide where you do your screen time. You can decide what the screen time, you know, what what you're watching on screen time, if that's appropriate. You can decide what device you're using. So you're giving them ownership. And here's another really good way to give ownership is to come up with a plan for how to stop screen time and give them a say in what they want you to do if they don't stop when they're supposed to. We spend so much time trying to come up with quote unquote consequences. Kids need to be involved with this. And when we involve them, they feel more of a sense of control than when we just say, if you don't get off of your screen, you don't, you lose screen time for three days. That is, we don't have to do that. We can say, okay, if you don't get off your screen when you're supposed to, what do you want me as your parent to do about it? You're coming up with a consequence, but you're giving them control. That's another example of a deposit. I'm going to give you one more and then I want to hear your feedback. So we've talked about predictability is a really big one. Another one is giving them ownership whenever you can. 
And a third one, no matter how old the child is, is to use what I call the language of control. The language of control, I already gave an example, is where you ask them their opinion or you give them ownership and you say, um, this is up to you, or I really want to hear what you think right now, or this choice is yours, or you're in charge right now. So you're really letting them know that they are in charge in that moment. That's another really good example of control. So those are three very different, but um, you know, helpful. And I have lots of others, obviously, but those are three really different ways you can deposit into control. Well, I think that's really interesting. And actually, it's what is also interesting is listening to you talk about it, because I talk about very similar things when I talk about healthy eating for children and how really food is another area of control that as parents, we also have to give our children, I don't want to say an illusion of control, because again, it's about us setting limits and deciding what we offer our children to eat but them deciding whether or not they want to. And I always say, you know, one of the first things kids learn to do is control their hands and put food into their mouth. And I think that that control should carry on all the time. So it's very interesting to have this kind of reflected back on me, you know, in a different sort of way, in an area that isn't my area of expertise. But it's 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 the same concept. Yeah, in a different content, exactly. Yeah, and I want to just go on what you said with this illusion of control because I think that's really this distinction is so important for parents that we are at, we are the ones in control. We are the ones in charge. I should use that word. We are the ones in charge. And in fact, if we're not in charge, it actually is a withdrawal from another emotional need. One of the five I mentioned is security. If they think they're in charge, it actually makes them feel less secure. So we have to be in charge. We just give them control within the boundaries. That's why I use the word ownership because they, we decide the rules, but they decide the how. And that is where they get a sense of, um, you know, what we call agency in psychology, which is where they believe they do have some say in the things that affect them. What happens with humans is when we feel out of control, we actually rage. Humans do not handle feeling out of control very well. In fact, the emotion of rage is a symptom that someone feels helpless and out of control. You, you find anyone who's enraged, and that's what's underneath it. So we need a sense of control in our lives. We just have to give it to them within our boundaries. And we have to realize if they're not getting it, they're going to get it in other ways, like food. When kids feel out of control, the first thing I see as a psychologist is food, potty training, homework. We can't make our kids do these things, so that's where they try to get control back. So we have to give them this sense of ownership within our boundaries. Yes, that's very interesting. Very interesting. Okay, where can people find more about you? And I know that you have a course about listening and teaching kids to listen, which I am super interested about. <laughs> yeah, so I have, first of all, podcasts. That's where, that's my, my free resources are my podcast, which is called Your Parenting Long Game. Um, and then I have a Facebook group that goes along with it, which is Your Parenting Long Game podcast community. And I'm in my Facebook group all the time. And then I do have courses um, where I actually go help parents apply this information to themselves. And I have courses in getting kids to listen. That is a huge one. Another one is handling big emotions, like them feeling out of control. So I help parents come up with their own plans. What do you do when you have a strong-willed child, for example, who acts out when they don't get their way? That is really more of the course on you know handling big emotions. And then I also have courses on helping kids with anxiety and staying calmer as a parent. So those are the courses that I have as well. Fabulous. I think I need to do all three of those courses. All of my (laughs) children seem to be very strong-willed children. (laughs) 
<laughs> that's a, that's a tough issue to deal with, but I have step-by-step strategies for you. Absolutely. Fabulous. Thank you so much for coming on and chatting to us. And I think we'll have to have you back because I have so many questions for you. <laughs> I would be happy to come back as often as you'd like me to. <laughs> Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. you for listening. If you found the podcast helpful, I really appreciate it if you share it with any of your friends who are interested, which helps me to get the word out. And just a reminder, if you want to sign up to the Healthy Family Eating Systems, where I explain how easy my system is for providing healthy foods for my family, you can grab that at drorlina.com healthy family meal plan with a little dash in between. And if you're interested in my new program, Fit and Fabulous Family, it's launching in August. Please email me at orlina at drorlina.com to arrange a time to chat. Thank you so much and have an amazing week. I will be back again next week. Goodbye.